Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis, everybody. I'm Emily Trent, and you're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM across town. And today we're talking about pedestrian safety in Memphis, um, a subject that might sound a bit wonky, but is like a lot of Memphis Metropolis topics, actually. But it's very, very important. It's important to me personally. It's just important to the community. And I'm welcoming back someone who was the 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 guest on the first Memphis Metropolis which seems like a lifetime ago was actually just in the fall and that's Nick Euler who is the bike way and pedestrian program manager for the city of Memphis so welcome back thanks Emily it's great to be back uh, I'm always flattered to be here and I'm happy to be a, a two-time guest now on the show um, time, I think, moves very slowly over the last year. So it does feel like it was a while ago. Right. So, Nick, pedestrian safety. So, so I want to – the Smart Growth America, every two years, I think, issues a report about pedestrian safety in the United States. It's called Dangerous by Design. And the – the newest version of that report just came out this week. Memphis does not do well in the rankings. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But I, I was hoping we could just kick off with you just explaining a, a little, not going into too much detail, but a little bit about what the study looks at and then what some of the national trends are, which are also worrisome. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what you said right at the opening um, about how this can kind of be a wonky topic that really isn't uh, is key um, because the reality is that all of us at some point in our day are a pedestrian. Uh, we may not call ourselves that. We don't give ourselves our title. But at some point in the day, uh, almost without exception, unless you're um, just staying inside your house for the entire day, which again, maybe with the pandemic you, you have been doing, but at some point in our day, we're getting out and we're walking somewhere. Even if you drive to a destination, as soon as you get out, you park your car and you get out of the car, you're walking to the front door, you're a pedestrian. So this really is an issue that affects all of us. Well, and I didn't mean to offend you if I. Oh did. no, no, no! I mean, you didn't offend me at all. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to uh, get, uh, you know, for, your, for the sake of your guests, so that we all understand that we are all pedestrians. I didn't mean it like that at all. No. Well, and because of the pandemic, people have been walking even more, right? Yeah, right. the, the afternoon right. walk to get out of the house. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Exactly. Um, I just, yeah, um, it's uh, you know, titles like that. Whether it's a cyclist or pedestrian sometimes people hear these titles and it's something kind of abstract that's that's what someone else is you know but that's not me but again just want to emphasize that we all um almost without exception walk at some point in our day outside something so we are all pedestrians and it matters to all of us and that's why the uh, the trends that we've been seeing 
and that have been confirmed now with this um, uh, the latest edition of this report, Dangerous by Design, should um, capture um, all of our attentions and, uh, and and want us to to take action. And so this report, um, just as the name implies, is really about really highlighting um, one the trend that we've been seeing for the last uh, decade or more now of pedestrian deaths rising, pedestrian deaths as a result of a traffic crash rising really across the country, and 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 particularly in some. Um, and uh, Sunbelt states and, and some metropolitan areas, um, but really a nationwide trend of pedestrian deaths increasing at some alarming rates and linking those deaths to design, the design of our streets, with the, the, the main message here being that, just as the name says, in many cases, our streets are dangerous by design. So... Memphis is, I mean, Memphis was the, and I can't remember how many cities are ranked, maybe 50. Memphis was the third most dangerous city in the rankings. And the pedestrian deaths here because of traffic accidents have increased, I think it was 75% between this study and one that was two years ago. And that's that's their data, but you've also you have also gathered some local data, and I don't think those things disagree. But share a little bit about the local data, and um, I guess sketch out um, not so much the causes. I don't want to talk about that, but the the impacts here, the kinds of numbers we're seeing here. Right. Yeah. Um, so you're right. Uh, Memphis was ranked. Well, I, I should clarify. It's the Memphis. This ranking is metropolitan areas, so it really is the Memphis area that we're talking about here. We're, we're one, we're one metropolitan area all in this together. Um, so the Memphis area was ranked third in this latest edition, and I believe uh, their methodology. Um, well, uh, the list that's shown in the report, I think, just ranks the the, the worst twenty. Across the country, we're 20 cities across the country, um, and so their methodology takes into account uh, a few factors: the number of pedestrian deaths being an obvious one, um, the um, rate of people who say they they walk as a means to get to work, um, per the U.S. Census Bureau data, and some other things there. So they have their own methodology for determining um, which cities are the most dangerous in the country. In the previous edition, two years ago, Memphis was ranked 11th place. So we have uh, gone, uh, well, I guess you say down the list, which gone from 11th to third in in two years, according to this ranking. Yeah, it's, it's a list where it's a list where you don't want to be at the top. Right. Yeah, I don't know what the right way. Do we move up or move down? I don't. We, if we went from 11th in the wrong, to third, we moved in the wrong direction. Let's right. just say that. Right. Um, and you know, it's it's. In some ways, it's hard for me to to acknowledge it. Well, well not hard to acknowledge, but uh, it's not something that I I take pleasure in acknowledging. Right, that we've we've moved from eleventh to third, um, but we have to acknowledge it. Right, uh, we have to acknowledge these deaths that are happening on our streets on a regular basis. 
Um, if, if we can't start there, then you know, we're not going to get anywhere. We have to start by acknowledging that these deaths are happening and that they are avoidable. Um, so, so yeah, we came out in third. And so the, uh, the trends that we've seen, as you were touching on, there has been a, a large increase locally. So to put that into context, uh, in 2019, there was a total of uh, 42 pedestrian deaths in Memphis. In 2020, which in 2019 at the time, that was a that was a record. It had never been that high. And in fact, if you look at the past uh, five to six years, um, half of those years, we've set a new record in the number of, of annual pedestrian deaths. So in 2019, that was the record at the time, 42 pedestrian deaths in that one year. And then in 2020, just last year, the number went up shockingly to 64. So you were looking at um, about a 55%, 60% increase in the number of deaths year over year from 2019 to 2020. If you look back at just as recently as you know 2010, um, the, the number of pedestrian fatalities, uh, I'm forgetting the exact number, but it was in the teens, I think somewhere around 15 or so. Well, you know, one of, Nick, one of the things and of course, this is just discouraging on so many levels. But one of the one of the things is the most discouraging to me about it is that you know, ten years ago, and you know, I was active in you know bike and pedestrian advocacy for several years. You know, ten years ago, we really didn't have intentional pedestrian safety infrastructure. We weren't talking about, you know, painted crosswalks, except, you know, plain vanilla ones where they were required by engineering. We didn't have countdown clocks. We didn't have, you know, very innovative um, pedestrian crossings at important places like the library. And there's just been, I mean, we don't have nearly what we need, but um, we went from nothing to having, you know, quite a bit and it just is, and I'm sure you feel the same way, that just is, you know, the reason all that was being done was to bring these numbers down. So why why are these? What are the reasons that these numbers are going in the wrong direction? Yeah. Well, actually, uh, I'm going to be honest and, and push back a little bit on, on, on what you said, that uh, we have quite a bit. And you said, <laughs> I don't think we have enough, honestly. <laughs> um well, we went from zero to <laughs> so something, I guess. You're right. You're right. Over yeah. the last 10 years, we can certainly point to um, some projects that have been done to try and improve pedestrian safety. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the crosswalk in front of the Central Library on Poplar Avenue. So that's a very visible example, targeting a location where um, somebody had died in the past, trying to just walk across the street there and other people you know, injured in crashes. Um, so there certainly have been some some things we've done. Uh, again, the pedestrian island on on Cooper um, yeah, at Monroe near Adelaide Theater is a, a maybe famous or infamous example, uh, depending on who you ask. Um, well, and I think part of it is I'm talking about things I'm seeing in my little midtown bubble. Mm. Um, and so. I'm sure that's coloring my perspective because a lot of these crashes 
are most of them are occurring in other areas. And we should probably talk about that at some point. But go back my original question about why these numbers are going up. Right. So so it's a it's a it's a few things happening. Um, so one it would be really I would still put it as the main one is design. Um, for decades and decades, like most American cities, Memphis, when designing and building our streets, prioritized uh, the the throughput of cars. Essentially, prioritized the speed of cars. Um, Speed and safety are mutually exclusive when designing a street. You can't prioritize one without compromising the other. Um, it's something that uh, I think over the course of the you know, later half the 20th century, we've come to understand better. You know, maybe in the 1950s and 60s, it was, it was less clear. But by now, I think the debate is over. When, when you design a street primarily to work well for cars and moving cars, the result is it becomes a lot less safe for people. So we designed streets that worked really well for moving cars. And as a result, they became a lot more dangerous to, to people walking, particularly or really anyone using our streets, whether you're outside of a car or inside of a car. So that's one is that, again, our streets were designed this way for a long time and really over only really in the last you know 10 years, as you said, have we started to try and change that. Although, again, I would say we, we need to be accelerating that change. So that's one significant the main factor. The other one is um, uh, really specific on this last year with the pandemic. Um as traffic has actually decreased on our streets, more people staying at home, the result is more um, streets are open or have a feeling of being open to drivers because there's just fewer cars out there. And for many drivers, that may lead them to speed greater than the you know, posted speed limit. Maybe that's unintentional. Uh, that's just that they happen to feel more comfortable since the road is so open. So they just naturally drive a little faster. Or it could be that intentionally people are, you know, feel that they can get away with it for whatever reason. And so they're, they're speeding down the street. Um, we've seen this. Uh, well, you know, I've heard it anecdotally from, you know, and so many residents and stakeholders, people are talking about this. We've seen it and being reported in the news. Um, I've heard it from MPD colleagues that, that over the last year, that there's just been this increase of speeding and that's related to, um, uh, less traffic on the street. Speed is the greatest determinant in the severity of a crash. So when a crash occurs at a higher speed, the result is going to be more severe. It's going to be worse than had it been at a lower speed. So for a person who's walking, um, you know, there's some kind of uh, some different statistics out there. Um, but generally speaking, for a person who's walking, if they're struck by a, a car that's moving at 20 miles per hour, they have about a 90% chance, 95% chance of surviving that crash, walking away from it. If they're hit by a car, though, that's moving at 40 miles per hour, their chance of survival drops down to around only 20%. So as we have seen speed increase on our roadways over this last year, the crashes that are happening have also just been more severe because of that. 
So that's the second main factor. Well, thinking about the last decade and the large number of crashes, um, you know, the increase in pedestrian deaths and severity of accidents, is there data connecting pedestrian deaths with, um, you know, distracted drivers? I mean, at one time, of course, people didn't, you know, weren't on their cell phones all the time, texting in the car, and there's other distractions, but that seems like the main one. Is there data that's connecting that to um, to pedestrian fatalities? Uh, not that I've seen. Um, I, I believe MPD, uh, when they file their crash reports, they do include information if, if they can verify it that a driver was distracted, but I think it's something that's very difficult to verify. I mean, how many drivers are going to just admit that they were, you know, looking at their phone or something. So I think unless there's, unless either drivers are being very forthcoming or there's some other um, clear evidence that it occurred, um, it's difficult to prove that that was a contributing factor. But I would add though real quick that yes, absolutely. I think, um, uh, the increase of distraction is also a factor. We have all these devices now vying for our attention uh, more so than we did 10 years ago, certainly 15 years ago. Um, but again, I would connect this back to design. If, if you're a driver and you're going down a street that uh, to you as a driver feels very comfortable, has wide lanes, you know, very straight, um, maybe more lanes than needed, um, it, then you feel safe. You feel safe and comfortable as a driver. And because your level of comfort is so high, you're maybe tricked into having this false sense of safety and into thinking, it's okay for me to glance down at my phone briefly. It's, uh, it's easier for you to become distracted in, those, in that context. Whereas if we designed a street that actually – induced a little bit of discomfort to drivers. It, it's kind of counterintuitive, but if you do that, it forces them to be a safer driver because if they have a little more discomfort driving down the street, then they'll, they will naturally want to pay more attention, be more aware of their surroundings, maybe slow down a little because they feel that discomfort. So again, I, I connect it back to design. That's interesting because you're right. I mean, if if you if the the design of the street, if it's narrow, um, you have to pay a little more attention. Then um, you're less likely to pull out your phone and see if that email you're waiting for came in. Sure. Yeah. And of course, I mean, we're always going to have reckless individuals who doesn't matter how you design the street. You know, they're they're going to choose to speed for whatever reason but we're talking about you know i think the 90 95 percent of people who, who want to be prudent driver drivers and um will respond to those kinds of cues from the way the street is designed so if you're just joining us you're listening to memphis metropolis on wyxr 91.7 fm and we're talking about pedestrian safety in memphis with Nick Euler, who is the Bikeway and Pedestrian Program Manager for the City of Memphis. So, Nick, I want to talk about some strategies, solutions. But before we do that, you created a map. Um, I think you called the Map Memorial, which maps out pedestrian deaths. And it's 
you know, very sobering to look at. I'll post a copy of it in our um, the show notes for people that listen to this as a podcast. But where do most of these, is there a clustering or are there kinds of streets where most of these um, fatalities occur? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you, you say the map is sobering, and, and, and thank you for bringing it up. Uh, I'll, I'll just say real quick, um, I just felt that with, you know, so often when we talk about this issue, whether it's you know, in the media or just in conversations, uh, it just comes down to numbers, you know, X number killed last year, X percent increase and so on. Um, so, the, you know, I, my office, we created this map. Um, it's, it's in some ways, you know, a, a small gesture. Um, but the idea is really to hopefully make people see it to get them to pause and reflect on you know, these people's lives being lost. These aren't just numbers. These are our, our neighbors, our loved ones, our coworkers that we're uh, losing every year to something that's avoidable. So the, so the map, you know, it maps out the locations, but it also provides um, um, partial names, not the full names for privacy reasons, uh, but partial names and ages of the victims. And so my hope is that when people see the map, that again, by seeing the actual names and ages of these people, that it really humanizes um, the data, I guess. It, you know, again, not just numbers, but, but people. So we've shared it recently. Um, and it's something that I hope, um, well, it, it's something I will plan to do on an annual basis until the deaths no longer, you know, we can, we can stop them, but uh, it's something I plan to do regularly. Um, Cause again, like I said, at the very beginning, we have to acknowledge these deaths and acknowledge, acknowledge these people are dying. If we can't start there, then we don't have a chance of, of actually solving this issue. I had asked um, just if there's are particular kinds of streets or parts of town where the, um, that are particularly dangerous for pedestrians. Yes. So um, when we look at the data, when we map it out, most of the fatal crashes are happening on uh, major streets. So multi-lane um, streets where speed limits are posted at you know, 40, 45 miles per hour. A lot of them happen to be state routes. So again, just the major thoroughfares in the city. So streets like, um, Lamar Avenue is a major one. Um, South Bellevue, Elvis Presley Boulevard, um, Union Avenue through Midtown. I would actually say that Union Avenue um, on a per mile basis um, may be uh, one of the top, if not the top um, corridors in the city where these fatal crashes occur at. We can talk about why, but I think it's, I think it's definitely up there. Um, so, yes, there, there are streets that are, are, are busy streets, but from a, a traffic standpoint and um, also particularly a, a transit standpoint. It's interesting when you map the transit routes um, over these crashes and you see that most of our, our busiest transit routes, like the, the number 50, the 42, are moving along corridors that also happen to be some of the most hostile for pedestrians. Um, and so that's a, you know, another important link there that, uh, you know, I like people to think about that 
pedestrian infrastructure is transit infrastructure. Um, well, for sure. I mean, there's going on tangent there, but <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an excellent. I mean, everyone, everyone is a pedestrian, but um, in the you know, walking is a part of the transit journey for every rider because they've got to get home or get to the bus stop from home. Um, so they're actually traveling by foot on either end of their transit journey, and I'm sure that is. Like you said, I mean, the 50, which people might not know, is the Poplar route, and um, and that's a busy street. And, of course, people once people get off the bus or on the bus, they've got to get to their destination on foot. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, yeah, the, the 42, thank, thank, um, you probably should put out that, right. you know, that's the, the Cleveland. Garden uh, Valley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, and again, like I just you know, we're seeing the crashes along these corridors because again they're they're very hostile and they're designed towards pedestrians, but also because this is where people want to go. Um, these are main streets for people driving, um, and for the same reason they're main streets for people who are walking because they're lined with um, workplaces, um, businesses, shops, restaurants, grocery stores along these main corridors. So just like if you're in your car and you're really familiar with these corridors, if if you're walking, if you're using the bus to get them, you're going to be going to these corridors as well. And when the difference is if you're if you're on foot trying to move along these corridors, um, you're taking a lot more danger and risk in your own hands. So let's talk a little bit about um, I mean, when I when this kind of data is you know, call to action for people who are in, who are, you know, concerned about it. Um, you know, both people like yourself on the government side, but also um, advocacy groups. And so talk a little bit about things that, you know, you would like to see to, to, you know, address the issue, ultimately bring down deaths. And I guess, you know, what you would like to see locally um, sort of from an infrastructure perspective, and then, you know, also, you know, policy-wise, um, you know, national policy changes that might help with the situation. Those two things are linked, obviously. But um, let's talk about locally um, first, what you'd like to see, changes you'd like to see that you think would help. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess first on a very kind of high level general um, way, um, what I want everyone to understand is as is what I've already been kind of <laughs> hammering on for the last uh, half hour or so is this link to design. Um, just a lot of people in our community, from from you know, just average residents to to community leaders. Um, when we talk about pedestrian safety, the, the knee-jerk reaction is to go to enforcement, right? Well, we just need to be writing more tickets. We need to write more speeding tickets, or maybe we need to be writing jaywalking tickets. You know, write tickets, that will solve the issue. What I really want people to understand is that enforcement will only ever be a Band-Aid solution as long as our streets are still designed in such a way that they are dangerous. Um, 
we're never going. I mean, the only way you could really have enforcement be a solution is literally you have an officer stationed every block, you know, watching out for speeding traffic and, and basic traffic laws. Like we're talking about thousands upon thousands of officers. We're never going to have that many officers for enforcement to be an effective solution. Um, the real, the root problem here is the design. So when we talk about this issue, yes, there, there is a role for enforcement, although it has to be in a very thoughtful way. Um, and, and how it's being enforced, who we're enforcing, you know, um, but design has to be the focus. So that's the main thing. Just we got to get people to understand that um, narrowing down to more of a, a wonky level. Um, frankly, we, we just need more funding for the infrastructure improvements that are needed. Um, you know, in, in 2015, my office completed the um, City of Memphis Pedestrian Safety Action Plan. It was a very data-driven approach at defining the problem, uh, defining uh, the solutions that are needed from an infrastructure perspective, um, and even coming up with a list of literally hundreds of prior uh, projects around the city um, and, and saying, okay, these are the projects that need to be built to really uh, address safety. Um, and unfortunately, uh, just because of tight budgets, it seems uh, we've never been able to receive a dedicated funding source for this plan. We've received a little funding over time to, to maybe knock out um, a handful of projects a year, um, but nothing that's really, um, you know, just kind of drops in the bucket for, what, for what's really needed. So, those are my two thoughts for a local level. So let me ask a question about that to help, I think, people get wrap their minds around it. So a street like Poplar, you know, Poplar is a, you know, a major auto corridor. It always will be. I mean, I think that um, to the extent that um, we have slowed traffic down on streets like Madison, um, and certainly within Midtown, um, it's, you know, driven more traffic to streets like, so Poplar is always going to be a main, a main drag. Let's just call it that. So, so, and there's a lot of pedestrian challenges, you know, the traffic, um, the traffic lights are certainly in the main part of the city. Uh, traffic lights are, are pretty far apart. You do see cars driving really fast over the speed limit. You also see people, you know, crossing between the traffic lights because the distance is just so far. So in your in your fantasy world, if you had the giant checkbook, how would you how would you improve Poplar without okay, changing its use? I'm saying thing about Lamar. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, these these are main streets that that and I don't think that's going to change. So how would you improve those streets? Yeah. Uh it's it's fun for me to daydream about that from time to time, and then eventually come back to reality. I guess. Well, I mean, I think it helps people understand sure. what, we're, what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you said, it, along many stretches of Poplar, the distance from a, a signalized intersection to the next one um, can actually be be pretty far. In a car, it may seem you know relatively close. But in some places, you may be talking about, excuse me, uh, half a mile, 
yeah, quarter mile, half a mile potentially. Um, for somebody who's walking, that's a long distance to go, particularly if if you know it's a Mem- July in Memphis, or if it's raining, or if they're carrying bags from the grocery store, or maybe they have a small child with them. And this is you know, this is a great example here. Uh, you know, so often we hear again in, in conversations about this, people want a, a victim blame and point their finger to to people who um, quote unquote jaywalked. You know, they walked across the street outside of the crosswalk. Well, if they only used the crosswalk, you know, uh, you know, this wouldn't have happened to them. Well, we need to put ourselves in their shoes. If the nearest crosswalk um, would require a half mile detour to their route. They have to walk a half mile out of their way. Or you might again, be in a, wheel, in a wheelchair. Or, yes, they might be using a wheelchair. Absolutely. Then actually the rational thing, the, the human thing that we would do, anyone would, I think would do is just try to take the shortest path. And so if the only option is, is really that much of a, an inconvenience or, you know, challenge, um, then people are going to choose you know, the other option. Right. Um, so thinking about that, we need more frequent protected crosswalks along these major thoroughfares. Um, so maybe that's, you know, mid-block crossings, or maybe a couple mid-block crossings between signalized intersections would be ideal. And if we had a protected crosswalk that people, you know, felt safe using more frequency along the corridor, then yeah, they're going to use that because now they, you know, it's, it's more convenient for them. So that'd be one thing. So mid-block crossings, just to explain that, that's like what we have in front of the main library now, right? There's not a traffic light, but there's an, an island. I guess that's called a refuge. There's a little mm-hmm. island. I mean, it happens to be signalized there. Um, I mean, there's signals to warn you. But having said that, if you cross over, there's a place to to stop before you proceed across the, so that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Yeah, you're right. So it's, yeah, a raised uh, refuge island or really just like a, a part of a median in the middle of the street. So just as you said, it provides a place to kind of stop and wait halfway. So rather than having to walk across, uh, you know, seven, six lanes of traffic, wait for a gap that big, um, you can only cross halfway, maybe wait for the next gap, continue across. Or ideally, you have an actual um, signal there that stops traffic for you. Um, so the one in front of the library, it has uh, flashing beacons that can be activated. I actually would prefer uh, something more substantial. So, for example, um, what we have on the Shelby Farms Green Line at, at um, uh, High Point, I think, and at Highland, um, a kind of modified signal that actually has a red light and stops traffic. I, I think that's even better. Um so, yes, that's what I mean. And, you know, also I would add that um, these these kinds of raised islands, mid-block crossings, they can also have an aesthetic side to them. They can be landscaped. They can um, you know, double as some sort of beautification element for a corridor. So more frequent crossings along the corridor is key. Um, the second one I'd say is just the sidewalks themselves. In many cases, sidewalks um, – just haven't been maintained properly. They're crumbling. Um, they have uprooting from trees, perhaps. Um, so for many individuals with limited mobility, um, they're simply impassable and can't be used. Um, 
you know, I've seen multiple times. I'm sure you've seen instances where somebody who's using a wheelchair is actually in the street. Um, you know, they don't want to be in the street. They don't want to be doing that, but they're doing it because they don't have a choice because the sidewalk uh, isn't passable for them. And they're just trying to get somewhere. Um, so we need sidewalks that are in good condition. And frankly, we need wider sidewalks. Um, the minimum width in the city is, is five feet. And that's the minimum, but it's really not preferred. Um, but because it's the minimum by code, you know, how many developers or property owners are going to choose to go beyond the minimum to preferred? So, you know, I'd like to see us have a, a, a wider dimension as our minimum. And also, in many cases, how the sidewalk is placed along Poplar Avenue. Um, the sidewalk is often right behind the curb. So you're basically if you're walking on the sidewalk, you're as close as possible close as you can be to traffic flying by at you know, 40, 45 miles per hour. No one you don't, and you don't, you don't feel safe. No, those. you don't. No one feels safe in that environment. Right. Um, so that's so we can move the sidewalk back farther from the curb, have a buffer zone in there. That buffer zone, again, if we're talking about, you know, I have complete control of funding whatsoever. So, you know, you plant street trees along there, some more landscaping opportunities to really enhance um, the attractiveness of the corridor. But street trees are also a great traffic calming uh, method and provide shade over the sidewalk. So just improving the general, the linear sidewalk is the second thing. And the third one, the main one is just improving intersections. Um, the way the intersections are often you know, physically designed, again, prioritizes the movement of cars. So one important example is um, uh, the, what we call the radius of a corner. Um, so how tight or how, how wide that corner is. For pedestrian safety, you want a tighter corner because a tight corner forces a driver who's taking a right-hand turn around that corner to slow down a lot more. So the tighter the corner can be, um, the better it is for pedestrians. And unfortunately, uh, going back decades, um, we've kind of seen corners become a little wider and wider to actually really only to improve convenience for drivers. Um, and also, when you tighten the corners, it causes the crossing distance to be near, to be shorter for pedestrians. So a tighter corner slows down right turning cars and also just decreases the crossing distance. So those are the three big ones. More frequent crossings, mid-block crossings, better sidewalks, and better intersections. That's a great list. And I agree about the intersections. One of my main pedestrian intersections is Poplar and Tucker. Um, which has had a bunch of improvements. Uh, there's a countdown clock there, and now that you, I mean, people do go right on red, but you're not supposed to. I don't feel completely safe there, but I feel safer than I did, and um, love to see those kinds of things deployed. Um, you know, it's really cool, and I don't think we have this here. Some, you know, in some cities, there's a, sort of a four-way stop. And um, all the drivers have red lights and pedestrians cross all ways, including mm -hmm. diagonally. There's like a pedestrian period where right. all the pedestrian activity and um, yeah, we call, yeah, we call that a scramble. 
right? Um, where, so, as you say, yeah, only only pedestrians get to cross. We don't have any examples of that in Memphis, not yet, at least. Um, but it's certainly something that could be considered. So, last question, Nick, and I mentioned this um, in the beginning. Um, so, anything you know on the federal policy level that either that you think we need? I mean, I know there's been talk about a you know, a complete streets national bill forever. And I don't even want to necessarily take the time to define what that is um, just because it's, uh, there's a lot of it, but um, you know, any policy, federal policy changes you think would help. And, and do you think um, in the new administration, there's will be any additional funds or any changes in the approach um, to, you know, to pedestrian infrastructure. Yeah, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot that could be said here. Um, so first off, yes, the the Complete Streets Act um, that's currently um, uh, has been proposed, um, I think, would be a, a significant positive step forward. And I want to give compliments to Memphis's own Representative Steve Cohen for being uh, one of the two co-sponsors for the bill. So we're very supportive of that. I'm very supportive of it. Um, I you know, helped uh, give his office some information from a local context that can really uh, be used. Um, I think if that can pass, that would help in, in a number of ways, particularly with funding, is providing more funding for um, these kinds of safety projects and improvements that are needed. And, and that's really the big thing I would say from a, a federal level, but also a state level, is that for decades, both state and federal, they've provided you know, cumulatively billions of dollars, if, if not you know, more over the course of, again, decades, towards project, transportation projects that really just serve cars and driving. Uh, highway expansions, new interchanges, roadway widenings, these kinds of things. Um, and traditionally, the amount of money given towards pedestrian safety projects has, has been minuscule, pocket change compared to what all these other kinds of you know, car projects get. We need to change that. I mean, we've, we've seen the result of that approach, and the result is people being killed and maimed every year just because they're trying to walk on our streets. Um, so we need to, we need to, we don't have to, we don't even have to talk about increasing funding overall. We just need to reallocate funding that traditionally has been going primarily to these car projects and giving them um, to, to pedestrian, bicycle, and transit projects more. And that's one thing that the Complete Streets Act would do if passed. And I would say that the, um, the state government has uh, a lot of responsibility here that so far really hasn't been that they haven't I don't think um, fully taken up upon themselves because again like we were saying earlier a lot of these major corridors in Memphis where we see all these pedestrian fatalities occurring a year after year are state routes these are routes that the state government has jurisdiction over so I mean. Either they need to step up, acknowledge the issue, and do more on their part with their funding to improve pedestrian conditions along here, or they just provide the city more funding and we'll get it done, or they hand over control of these routes to the city. I mean, um, 
I guess one of those three. So we need more funding from the federal and state governments that actually reflects this traffic violence crisis that that we're seeing and, and who it's disproportionately impacting. Okay. I agree with all of that. In case you were wondering. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't doubt it. <laughs> well, Nick, this has been great. Uh, great discussion. I mean, a hard topic, but a great discussion. So um, thanks for coming back on the show. And I'm sure we, we, we will be revisiting this subject um, sometime soon. I've been talking to Nick Euler uh, from the city, from the bikeway and pedestrian program manager for city of Memphis. So thanks for coming on, Nick. Thank you so much, Emily. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at one. So please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.